Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. the awesome NBA DFS strategy show and a very special show for me because not only do I have the usual Jordan Klein behind the scenes producing but for the first time ever I'm on camera with the awesome Alex Baker Alex we've never done a show together before I've worked for you for a while now in terms of the hierarchy of your DFS accomplishments we're just doing a show with me rank well, I'll have to see by the end of the show. Maybe you're going to make me look pretty bad here. So hopefully, um, you know, my takes can can match yours and then it will be up there. Yeah. Alex's DFS resume, it's going to be uh, like whatever X time live finals winner and one time DFS show with with Greg Ehrenberg. That's going to be that's going to be the resume. Uh, guys, don't forget, subscribe to our podcast network, subscribe to the YouTube channel like the video. And by the way, the easiest way to get on the good boy list for Christmas coming up is you subscribe to our YouTube channel, because not only is that going to give you access to all the best information as soon as possible, but you get to see Alex and I do more shows together in the future, hopefully. And then also don't forget that if you use the promo code Caruso, you get $1 NBA access through December 29th. That is for all new users of awesome.com. And that's going to include our projections, ownership projections, Slack chat, lineup builder, and much more. So that is just a dollar to get access to everything using the promo code Caruso. So Alex, let's quickly hit on last night's slate, just two games, first slate of the season. How did it go for you? And and what do you think were some of the pitfalls? I'll just say I'm ready to move on to today's slate. (laughs) Let's talk about it for a couple of minutes here. I mean, Eric Pascal, he was a guy that got a lot of minutes last year when Draymond Green was out. So he made sense to just kind of plug and play. You can't predict someone just playing terrible and then getting benched. So, I mean, maybe he could with Pascal, but I don't really consider him like a terrible player. Um, But the other thing was uh, some of these rotations were a little bit tougher to predict, like, Dennis Schroeder was starting. We didn't really know for sure because Kyle Kuzma started a few of the preseason games. And then LeBron James, like, just wasn't playing the same rotation as last year. And there was a point guard starting with him. So there are a lot of moving pieces. Um, Didn't really call them all correctly, so it didn't work out that great. But I saw a couple people won 500K. Uh, Anyway, how how did it turn out for you? 
Well, at least there was overlay on FanDuel, so so that helped me more than if there was an overlay on <laughs> FanDuel. Uh, the other thing, too, is I, I don't know if you saw this, but it, it came out also that LeBron apparently hurt his ankle during last night's game. So he was a little hobbled. That impacted the amount of minutes he played, and apparently he might not play in the Lakers' next game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there was a bunch of weirdness. I was also very wrong in predicting the Clippers' starting lineup. And then on a two-game slate, what happens is then he gets to the later game. It's like, oh, uh, Nick Batum's starting. I thought that... I thought that Ivica Zubats was going to start. And then there just isn't that much wiggle room to make pivots when it's a two-game slate. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to a slate like today where we have lots of options to choose from. And there's probably a dozen Eric Pascals to, to pick from <laughs> on this slate. And that is something also I think we should hit on really quick is how do you approach some of these big slates differently than the small slates? Because I know I go about approaching my lineup builds. It, it's pretty different on a slate with 13 games versus two games. So today's slate is a little different because we have 13 games. None of them have played this year so far, so we don't have a ton of data. So I feel like today is going to be mostly about kind of like making the right reads on each team. As far as uh, kind of line construction, I feel like there's a couple of plays that might be a close to lock button. And then the rest of the guys are all kind of like going to blend in to the crowd. So it's going to be like mixing and matching all these pieces, putting the puzzle together. Uh, what are you making of today's slate so far? Yeah, so, I mean, the one thing, and this will transition right into the the point guard, as we talk about with Luka Doncic, is there's no Kristaps Porzingis for the Mavericks. And one thing we saw last year is when KP was off the court, Doncic played just a massive role for the Mavericks. He was somebody who was scoring over 60 fantasy points per 36 minutes. The usage rating was right around 40%. So we opened the season, and one thing that DraftKings did, which we saw them do a little bit the start of last year also, Doncic is priced way down, and he's much too cheap for for a, a slate without Kristaps Porzingis there. On FanDuel, I think there's a little bit more discussion about his price point, but at least on DraftKings, I look at Luka Doncic as one of the top plays on the slate, and there's there's a lot of guys we could choose from to pay up for, but I think that Doncic right now is the priority for me. I know in the initial build that I did, he came out as being one of my higher-owned players, so that's the first thing that stands out to me with the point guard position. So how do you feel about Doncic? And one thing that also I think we, all, we have to consider about him, 40% owned is very substantial for a 13-game slate. So how does that impact how much exposure you want to get to him? I feel like Luca is probably the easiest kind of guy to plug in your lineup on the slate. <clears throat> I mean, there's uh, Porzingis is out. That kind of solidifies his usage and assists. Not that they're even bad when Porzingis plays, but you know, Luca does it all. He also, you don't have to worry about the minutes. <clears throat> When you're comparing with some other guys like James Harden, I feel like maybe the conditioning and motivation isn't quite there. So there's question marks there. Then with Giannis, I mean, you have the minutes that last year were never that good. New head coach this year. So we don't know exactly if that's going to change or not. Um, those uh, three are really the the 10K plus options today. So Luca just not having any question marks and being on face value, a great play. I think it's just easy to land on him. Yeah, and the other thing too, and I've talked about this before, something that I like <laughs> to look at a lot for trying to figure out a fair price for players is looking at some of the historical pricing in similar situations. So if you go back to last year and you look at the price point of Luka Doncic when Christoph Sporzingos was out, he got up to 12600 on DraftKings. So when you see him opening up this year at 10000 what's pretty much a similar situation, right? Because the Mavericks didn't make any massive roster changes. 
the, really the big change that is that Porzingis isn't there. So we could consider this to be about the same situation it was last year. And to see Doncic priced at 10000 versus the 12600 he got up to last year without Porzingis, that just screams value, even though you typically wouldn't think of a 10000 player as value. Uh, something I think is interesting that you brought up there that I, I do want to touch on is something like James Harden, because you brought up him as being somebody with some question marks. And I don't usually like to look into narratives that much, but it's kind of hard to ignore some of the stuff <laughs> going on with James Harden right now. So what do you make of him? Not only just this stuff, him going to strip clubs in between games, him potentially being disgruntled with the team, but it's also a totally different teammates that he's playing with. He's got John Wall there. He's got DeMarcus Cousins, Christian Wood. So what do you make of the Rockets situation in James Harden? And, and how confident are you in wanting to play him in a GPP? I'd say it's about equal to last year. John Wall kind of and Russell uh, Westbrook have a similar style of play. I mean, just really ball dominant point guards. So James Harden, I think you could expect to have a similar um, similar stats to last year. And I guess you're throwing in Christian Wood, uh, who's a little bit of a above average uh, usage guy. That's replacing someone like Daniel House that really didn't take many shots. So just a slight downgrade uh, there. So I think um, <clears throat> Harden, it, it's a little tough because I, I really am scared by those photos that came out, like that first <laughs> preseason game, because like, man, he looked like really terrible. I don't know if they were like Photoshopped or I don't think they were, but um, that that's enough to maybe like how win see one game. Although he did average 24 minutes in the preseason, which is pretty high for a star. But uh, the, the rumors about him, like, I mean, it's, I guess it's not a rumor that he wants to be traded and that he's like been really like destructive teammate and stuff. I mean, just a lot of bad juju surrounding him, but maybe that's like narratives. It's like so hard to like, actually like predict what's going to happen because maybe he'll be extra motivated to try to like convince other teams to, to bind them. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things I always think is funny about narratives is so much of them could go either way. And then you kind of write whatever the story is after the fact. <laughs> so one thing I actually feel about Harden is certainly in cash games, I'm way more confident in Luka Doncic and it's a little different comparing FanDuel to DraftKings because they have different positional eligibility, but at least on DraftKings, they're around the same price they both have point guard eligibility. And you look at Luka Doncic, 10,000, James Harden, 10,400. And something that we talk about a lot at Osimo is odds of success and maybe the odds of somebody ending up in the optimal lineup, not necessarily just the projection itself or who we think is going to do well. So one thing I look at when we compare Luka Doncic to Harden right now is that Luka has 40% ownership and Harden is 5% on DK. So just looking at those numbers, I don't necessarily think that that Luca's 10x more likely ended up in the optimal lineup than James Harden. So for that reason, at least in GPPs, I think Harden's a really good pivot play because both of the cons- the concerns that we have about him are very legitimate, right? Wh- who knows what he's going to look like? There could be, a, for, for all we know, he could miss a shot and throw a ball at John Wall's head and he'll just be like, screw these guys, I don't want to be here. But everybody has that in their mind and that's why we're seeing this really depressed ownership on James Harden. So in a weird way, I think you could almost make the case that these concerns make him a better GPP play just because the ownership is so low. Well, uh, it really depends on the lineup, I'd say, because, like, you can't just, uh, yeah, like, if you take Luka and Harden, like, the kind of lineups they would fare well in would be very different lineups. Like, Luka being the most popular player of the slate, you need to fill a lineup around him that has some 
more edgy options that are lower owned. Where Harden, if you pair him with those guys, your lineup just won't be high enough projected to really stand a good chance. So with Harden, you'd kind of plug him in with some of the best value plays where uh, Luca, you'd have to build around with some contrarian options. So talking about some of those value plays then, at least on DraftKings, one guy that stands out to me at the point guard position is Killian Hayes. And that's somebody who ended up coming up in a lot of my my lineups. And it's always a little hard to figure out what rookies are going to look like to open the season. Like, I mean, James Wiseman last night, who basically didn't do all that much for the first three quarters, then in garbage time just ends up crushing against the backups. But we look at Killian Hayes as somebody who, if you look at that Pistons lineup, it's hard to figure out where the usage is going to go, where the minutes are going to go, because it's a very bad roster. And Killian Hayes is a guy who they drafted highly in the draft, somebody who they really want to get minutes and build their team around. So at the very least, the opportunity is there for Killian Hayes. I don't necessarily know if the performance is going to be there, but I don't really think that's knowable right now because we've never seen him in an NBA game. But for the price point, how do you think of him as a value play, just given the opportunity it looks like he's going to have? Yeah, I think Killian Hayes is one of the best value plays on the slate. I mean, everyone's been talking about his odds to win Rookie of the Year being among the highest of the rookies, even though his draft slot was seventh, I believe. So not the highest draft pick, but uh, opportunity is really the the driving factor in that rookie of the year race. And with Reggie Jackson shipped off this year, um, really it's Killian Hayes' job to lose. You got Derrick Rose as uh, the sixth man, essentially. Um, so I don't think Killian Hayes is going to like play insane minutes, but um, all the buzz around him has been that <clears throat> he's already making a big impact in Detroit. And we do have a little bit of data. <clears throat> so uh, what I look at is these preseason stats, 23% usage, 23% assist rate. That kind of indicates to me that he's going to be around a point a minute guy which at 3,900, I mean, that's great value. <clears throat> yeah, I totally agree. And that's why also when when I ran just dummy builds before we are doing the show, he ended up being one of my higher-owned players. And then that also enables you to get to some guys like Luka Doncic pretty comfortably. Even without much information, I think that Killian Hayes is a, is a pretty safe cash game play just based on the, on the price. And then like you said also, the other thing uh, with, with some of these rookies, when they're just going to be on the court for 30-plus minutes and the price is this cheap to open – it's hard for a point guard to really just totally bomb given the amount of, of time they have the ball in their hands. I think the two safest positions usually for production are going to be point guard and center, just because centers are going to pick up a lot of rebounds and point guard just have the ball in their hands. They're either going to end up taking shots because the ball is there or they pass to somebody and that person just happens to make a shot so they get assists. So Killian Hayes, definitely somebody who I like a lot. Are there any other value plays that are really standing out to you at the point guard position? Well, uh, George Hill, maybe a guy to look at. I, I don't think he's like a very great fantasy player, but he was a key piece in Milwaukee last year. Now you plug him into this Oklahoma City team that traded Chris Paul. <clears throat> I mean, Chris uh, George Hill isn't any sort of replacement for Chris Paul, but there should be good opportunities. SGA is kind of the uh, focal point of this offense, but George Hill... Um, he he has a solid overall stats. And one thing that really impressed me was last year, he had a 66% true shooting percentage, which is just like uh, incredibly high. So I, I think that he's actually a little bit underrated and he's 3,600. So he's really the cheapest guy um, 
that you could go to. Uh, I, what do you think about George Hill? I mean, I've, I don't love the name, but the <laughs> the position or the opportunity looks not bad. Yeah, I ended up getting a decent amount of exposure to him in my in my initial dummy build I made, and it's for the reasons you said. I mean, you look at the Thunder roster, and it's very hard to figure out. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job; it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov/careers. Just where are the minutes going? Because they do not have very good players on the team overall, and there's a big void to fill with the with Chris Paul gone. And then also, I mean, we've got Stephen Adams is gone. There's just a whole host of players who they shipped out: Danilo Gallinari. And it's a team that is really transitioned to. I kind of think that they originally built their team last year thinking it was a, it was going to be a tank type year, and they ended up being good and, and making the playoffs. And they're like, we're not having any of that this year. We're getting rid of we're getting rid of everybody and just bare bones. We're rebuilding. That opens up a lot of DFS opportunity. And somebody you mentioned there that I think transitions really well to us talking about the shooting guard position is Shai Gilgis Alexander is one of my favorite overall plays on this slate. And a, a little back backstory on me trying to project SGA as we end into the season. As I was figuring out my basketball rankings, I had SGA coming up so high that I had to nerf it because I was like, I can't have him being like a top six uh-huh. player going going into best ball drafts because I'll just take him way too early in all my leagues. But with that said, like you just look at this Thunder roster and he might lead them in every single category. He might lead them <laughs> in points. He might lead them in assists, rebounds, steals, blocks because he's that good of a player and they're so devoid of talent elsewhere that if he's going to be somebody who plays, you know, 38, 40 minutes or something like that per game, then I just think the counting stats for him are going to be ridiculous. So the price point for him, even if it's more expensive than what we saw from him last year, he's going to be one of my highest owned players tonight because you, there's just so much opportunity in, in that Oklahoma City roster. Definitely, yeah. I think uh, the the situation this year with no Chris Paul is is going to really change his role on the team. Last year, SGA was kind of the backup point guard in addition to the starting shooting guard. So we have um good amount of data without Chris Paul on the court. When Chris Paul was off the court, he averaged a 25% assist percentage. And then I'm, I'm using NBA Wowie for this, so that's a nice little tool. Um, when Chris Paul was on the court, his assist percentage was 11%. So he got more than double the number of assists when Chris Paul was off the court. A large part of what I'm going to be doing today is trying to figure out the best estimates for these kind of rates uh, to plug in. But assuming this kind of bump in usage and assists, SGA at 7,500 on DraftKings and 8,100 on FanDuel, looks like he could absolutely crush. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's also another point, too, is there are some of these numbers that just look so absurd when you look at these guys with with players off the court. And it was the same thing I had with like Steph Curry yesterday, where it's like we didn't have much information on Steph Curry last year. We go back to two years ago, his numbers without Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant on the court. And it's like, well, these numbers aren't sustainable, but they also all point towards him being a ridiculous play. And then you look at the outcome of last game where he ends up scoring like 45 fantasy points without even playing much of the second half. And you start to think like, what kind of a fantasy season is Steph Curry going to have this year? 
And that's something I kind of feel with SGA also, where he, just all the shots are going to be going to him because you look at the roster. And I mean, we mentioned George Hill before as a decent play because there is nobody else on this team to shoot. So SGA is definitely going to be a core play for me, somebody who I want to get a lot of exposure to. And that's also one of the reasons that we like somebody like George Hill. Uh, some of the other shooting guard options that stand out to me a little bit, uh, Zach Levine is, is a player who... I think the Bulls this year are not going to be very good, but it's kind of an experimental year for them also. Like they're starting Kobe White at point guard and that could take some shots away from Zach Levine. But still, if we look at Levine, he's much cheaper right now than he was to finish last year where he finished the year really strong. He was a guy who was priced around 9,000 and he's priced way down from that to start the year now. So I think there's a little bit of value in him. I think he's a good payup option. Uh, Do you have any takes on uh, Zach Levine? Yeah, I think uh, Levine's a good option. Uh, Atlanta, you got to project him to be one of the worst defensive teams in the league. So that matchup is is good. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm kind of going off just like the age of the team. Uh, Clint Capella is out tonight as well. So um, the that's one kind of good player that Atlanta's going to be without. Uh, and it looks like Chicago is uh, as close to a pick on. looks like Chicago is a two-point underdog, so very competitive game. Uh, they're giving Chicago some decent credit there. A lot of it is because of Zach Levine. Um, the, the situation doesn't look tremendously different from last year uh, with Markinen, Wendell Carter. Uh, Kobe White is in, but their starting point guard last year. I can't even remember offhand who it was, but not like a big difference maker. Um, and then the other difference is Patrick Williams is starting. Otto Porter is coming off the bench most likely. So pretty much the same situation. So we're looking at our priors, and that was Zach Levine just being a more expensive player. And then one other player at the shooting guard position I ended up getting a good amount of exposure to, at least on FanDuel, not, not on DraftKings, but is Bradley Beal. And that's somebody else who I find it pretty hard to to peg down with Beal because we have Russell Westbrook there. And I mean, if we look at Beal from last year, one thing that really led to him having a lot of success is the ball was in his hands constantly. He was somebody who was the primary facilitator. He also led the team in usage by a pretty wide margin. And now we have Russell Westbrook in the mix. And one thing, though, that doesn't deter me too much is just another guy who just difference in price. We have Bradley Beal opening the season at 8,100 on FanDuel. He closed last season, priced at over 10000 So that's where it's a little bit of a struggle for me because it does make sense to, to think that he's going to have a step back in usage based on Russell Westbrook being there. But still, the price has been has gone down so much on FanDuel to offset that. That Do you still think that he makes for a good play on FanDuel as I do? Because it's hard for me to, to weigh the difference between a decrease in, usage, uh, decrease in usage and a decrease in salary. Yeah, he stands out as a great play on FanDuel. Uh, just a good price tag. As you're saying, the usage and ball handling should go down with Westbrook, but I mean, uh, the price went way down, so it kind of accounts for that. Matchup versus Philadelphia, um, not the most exciting, but I think that uh, the price for Beal on FanDuel is pretty solid. And then one final value play I wanted to hit on on shooting guard, who's somebody that I have interest in is Alec Burks. And here's the reason why. It looks like he's going to start at shooting guard for the Knicks this year. Burks has been a high-usage guy in the past, and we've seen him in some of these situations with bad teams where he starts, most notably with the Warriors last year, where he was a pretty good fantasy producer, ended up being a guy 
who was averaging like high 20 fantasy points per game as a starter for the Warriors. And now he's opening the season relatively cheap for the Knicks, probably going to be starting playing a significant role, a guy who's not afraid to shoot. The other thing, too, that we've seen in the past with Tom Thibodeau is he runs his starters out on the court forever. If somebody's starting for Tom Thibodeau, he will run them into the ground. So Alec Burks, maybe not somebody points per dollar who's like a top play on the slate, but as a contrarian play, I think he makes for a, a good a good option just based on what we've seen from Thibodeau and what we've seen from Alec Burks while he's been a starter in the past. So what do you think of Burks, and are there any other cheaper starting shooting guard options that you, that you think make sense on this slate? Yeah, Burks is in a nice spot in New York. Uh, he was pretty successful off the bench as far as a fantasy option in Philadelphia. So then you just plug him into this team that really is a lot uh, lower in talent, and you got to think that they're going to need someone that can fill fill up the buckets, even if he's not that great a player. That guy certainly could be Burks. So I think um, just looking at their depth, it looks like some of their uh, their depth options as shooting guard are out. I mean, Austin Rivers is kind of a point guard slash shooting guard. He's out. Um, and then it's kind of hard to call this to rotation. I'd say Manuel quickly <laughs> is the new point guard uh, that they drafted. I assume he's going to step into the backup point guard for Elf Payton. And then you got Reggie Bullock. He's a solid defender, three and D guy. Not exactly the best fit for the Knicks. So I feel like the only thing that's making me question this is R.J. Barrett and Alfred Payton and Alec Burks all together might be a pretty small like starting backcourt. So I'm. Uh, what do you think of the fit there? Yeah, well, here, there's a couple of things. Number one, I don't think there's any players, a combination of players the Knicks could put out that fits well <laughs> for, for a couple of reasons. It's it's number one, they just don't have very good players on the team. And then number two, they've, they've built a team through both free agency and the draft where they just have a bunch of guys that play the same position. So, like, they drafted Obi Topin this year, who's a prospect who there's a couple of reasons I don't really like him all that much. I think he's a good offensive player, but he had a very poor track record of being a defender in college. And then the other thing also, he's going to be 23 years old this year. The track record of guys coming into the NBA at that advanced of an age, it's very poor. It's basically none of them have ever hit. So just looking at that, it's hard for me to think that somebody at that age is going to step in and be good. Like, I, I just can't assume that he's going to be the guy. Like, it's like the Knicks who, as if they have some great track record of drafting players as is. It's like, oh, they found the one guy who, who they drafted at 22 years old that's going to be a, a difference maker in recent years. So then you look at the Knicks team also, like Julius Randle's there. I like Mitchell Robinson as a defensive player. The Knicks don't seem to like Mitchell Robinson. They're going to start New Orleans Noel at center. So there's just so many players there that I just don't think really make sense and don't necessarily fit together well. So to answer your question, the short way is, no, it's not going to fit, but it's because no matter who they put out on the court, it's not going to fit anyway. Uh, but Alec Burks, at the very least, is a guy who I know is going to shoot the ball when he touches it. And just given what we've seen about from Thibodeau in the past, where he likes to run his starters out for you know upwards of 40 minutes most games, we've always seen him somebody who is not afraid to just leave the starters out on the court for most of the game. That's kind of what has me gravitating towards Alec Burks a little bit. Does, does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, if... I think that it's all going to be about the minutes. If Alec Burks gets 30-plus minutes, he's going to absolutely destroy his salary. Um, there's not a lot of data to like have any sort of uh, basis for predicting that. So I guess we could look at last year's rotations, even though they're different players. but And a different um, coach. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be all about kind of like figuring out 
this stuff with limited data. So um, I think he definitely has that potential to be a great player. And then any other shooting guard options that have really stand out to you or any guys that you really are getting, looking like you might get an appreciable amount of ownership to? It looks like a, a pretty weak position, to be honest. Um, Eric Bledsoe uh, is popping up for me. So let's, uh, I'm, I'm looking at this New Orleans roster where he is kind of, uh, he came in and Drew Holiday got shipped out. Otherwise, um, I guess you have Steven Adams at center. Uh, so that's a, a change as well. But Eric Bledsoe is a good player. I feel like he didn't play quite as much last year um, because he had a good backup in George Hill, and the Bucks really didn't run anyone out for big minutes. Now, uh, Drew Holiday averaged like 35 minutes a game last year, so Eric Bledsoe could uh, be in line for 30-plus. And what I'm going to look at here, uh, sometimes you can you can make deductions from where the dollars are going on how the team's going to play because um, obviously the coaches want to make everyone look good for their for who everyone paid. And uh, the two highest player, paid players on the Pelicans right now are Steven Adams, $27 million a year, and then Eric Bledsoe at $17 million. So I feel like they're paying him huge money and they have this incentive to, to try to make the best of it. So what do you think of Bledsoe? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point there. The one thing that I also think could play in Bledsoe's favor that doesn't really get reflected in his stats from last year is we look at what Budenholzer's always done in Milwaukee and other places he's coached. He does not give his starters very many minutes. So the one drawback has always been to rostering Giannis Antetokounmpo is, yes, he's by far the best permanent fantasy producer in the league, except there are times where Budenholzer will only play him, you know, 27, 28 minutes a game to a fault. Even in the playoffs, he didn't extend the minutes of his starters all that much. Now we see Eric Bledsoe in a new situation. So he goes from playing in Milwaukee to now playing in, in a team like New Orleans, where for all we know, those, you know, 27 minutes per game he played last year, he could end up playing over 30 minutes per game because it's a new situation. Now, we don't know that for sure, but one thing we do know is that he's priced for his time and the minutes he played while he was in Milwaukee in his production last year. And it seems to me that there's more upside in his minutes than downside. Uh, like, to your point, he is one of the higher-paid players on the team. Maybe that has some influence. But the other thing also is that his minutes were so close to the floor last year. Like, there's no way he's going to start and play 24 minutes per game or anything like that. So, to me, the minutes can only go up. He's generally priced for his production from last year. So, if we do see those extra minutes, which I think is fairly likely, then it's going to be extra production, too, because obviously the more time he's on the court, the more time he has to produce. Uh, so I think that's probably the angle I look at it from. Like, how confident are you in Eric Bledsoe's minutes and how how much do you think he'll play? Do you think he'll be a guy who gets over 30 minutes per game? So when I'm looking at this uh, this team's preseason numbers, it actually tells a really interesting story because they ran out the starters for full minutes. Bledsoe averaged 33 minutes over their preseason games. I'm not sure if he played one or two, but that kind of tells it all. Like, most teams aren't even running their their players out for, like, more than 25 so if he played 33 minutes in preseason, I feel pretty confident he'll get 30-plus in the regular season. And then you also look at Zion Williamson. He got 34 minutes a game in the preseason, so that bodes well for him. And, and Ball got 33. So I feel like this rotation may be one of the easier ones to feel confident in. Yeah, and then, I mean, to that point also, <laughs> if Eric Bledsoe was playing under 30 minutes per game last year, he's playing over 30 minutes per game this year in the preseason – 
it's not like they're all, they're all of a sudden going to be like, oh, well, <laughs> playing him less minutes in the regular season than we did the preseason. So I think that's I, I think that's all salient points and good reasons to think that Eric Bledsoe is probably a little bit underpriced opening the season. So now moving over to the small forward position, I think this is one of the harder positions to fill, particularly on DraftKings, because they have shifted Giannis from small forward eligibility to power forward this year on DraftKings. So if we look at the small forward position, there are not very many strong options. And the ownership kind of reflects that too. I mean, if you look at the ownership on these guys, there's only a few guys that are projected for over 10% ownership, the most popular being Jalen Brown at 16%. Then there's Tobias Harris at 14%. And then you just have a bunch of guys who are sub 10% at the position. So who at this position do you think actually does make for the strongest play? Because there are nobody that I look, there's nobody I look at here that I'm like, oh, this is the small forward I feel great about. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, Patrick Williams is kind of like the chalk guy. And I think it might be bad chalk. He's the new starting small forward in Chicago. And I'm looking at his stats. I mean, he's only 3K. So, like, he really opens up the rest of your lineup. But in the, the preseason, he only had, he had a 19% usage rate. That's the good news. His assist percentage was 2.6%, and his rebounding rate was 5%. So this is screaming to me, a guy that just is going to have low-per-minute stats. But he opens up so much at 3K, like, that's just way too low. So what are you making of Patrick Williams? Yeah, and actually, I, I made a mistake there because I, I looked over him. I had him uh, written down as a power forward. But yeah, small forward, power forward, power, small forward and power forward eligibility. It's kind of interesting because I agree with your point there that I'm not sure how productive he's going to be. But at the same time, too, it's such a difficult position to fill tonight, and he's mid-priced. So if he's going to start and play, you know, say 26, 27 minutes, somewhere around there, I think that's a fair estimate. I don't necessarily think he has to score, you know, 25 fantasy points to be a great play just because there are no good plays at the position. So looking at it from just an opportunity cost perspective, what are you missing out on by rostering Patrick Williams? Because I'm not sure that there's some other guy at the position that really stands out to me. And then he kind of opens up some of the salary elsewhere. The the biggest concern I really have here though, is that he's going to be so popular. Yeah, I mean, there's some decent plays. Uh, one that I'm kind of landing on is DeMar DeRozan. Uh, obviously a really solid fantasy contributor. Uh, Derek White is out this game. I mean, that that doesn't make a ton of difference, but it does mean that you probably have Lonnie Walker starting instead of Derek White, so that's more assist opportunities for DeRozan. Um, he's just really cheap at 7,300. And uh, let me pull up how many how many points he averaged last year because I feel it's, it's quite a bit more than 5X. But the matchup is really good, too, versus Memphis. Memphis is one of the faster-paced teams with this new John Morant offense, at least they were last year. So I think that uh, there should be a lot of possessions in this game. And uh, let's see, DeRozan average 39 points per game last year. I see no reason why that would go down. That's already a good deal above 5X. So do you, do you have any any reasons to not like DeRozan today? Because just looking at his average performance compared to salary, he looks pretty good. So the only concern I have with the Spurs as a whole is, is going to be the spacing in their offense. And now that Derek White isn't there, we're going to see a lot of lineups with DeJounte Murray and DeMar DeRozan together and LaMarcus Aldridge for that. And none of the three of them can shoot at all. 
Like DeMar DeRozan <laughs> off the top of my head, I think he, for, for a wing, he made it was like 0.23s per game last year. So that's the real concern I have there is what's the spacing going to look like in the offense? Because one thing about Derek White is uh, it does open up extra usage with with uh, with him out for, for DeMar DeRozan. But I do worry a little bit, what does the offense look like? And is it just going to be just, you know, really, really bad from a spacing perspective? Uh, but even so, I think that DeMar DeRozan at his price point at 7,300 is viable. One guy that's a little bit cheaper that I think I like a little bit more, and I'm interested to hear what you think about him, is Tobias Harris. Because talking about good matchups, he's going up against the Wizards. They were a terrible defense last year, and especially for fantasy purposes, because not only were they near the bottom of the league in defensive efficiency, but they also played at a really fast pace. And I think that pace, you can make a case, is going to be even higher now that Russell Westbrook is their point guard because he's somebody who really pushes the pace a lot. The other thing to consider, too, with the 76ers is I like the moves they made a lot in the offseason. They traded away guys like Al Horford and Josh Richardson, who even though they are good players, they added extra three-point uh, three shooting into their team. So I think adding somebody like Seth Curry, who maybe isn't just a, a better player in terms of just value individually to somebody like Al Horford, I think he's a much better fit in the Sixers offense. And I think it's going to help all those guys that they have extra spacing. So Tobias Harris at 6,200, he's actually the guy who I have the most exposure to at small forward right now on DraftKings. Yeah, I like that. I think that you take out Al Horford and Josh Richardson, and you're replacing them with Danny Green and Seth Curry, two very, like below average usage players, especially compared to Horford and Richardson. That just means more shots are going to go to Harris, Simmons, and Embiid. So at 6,200, and the fact that Tobias Harris is someone that they run for uh, close to the 35 minutes a game, that's, uh, that's someone I can buy into. And then one other guy here who, who interested me a little bit is uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, the reason being going up against the Portland Trailblazers, he's been priced down a lot from last year. Portland was bottom five in the league of defensive efficiency last year. The Jazz have basically returned the same exact team this year that they had last year. And Bogdanovic is a little bit out of sight, out of mind, because last year uh, he had, I think it was like a torn ligament in his wrist, so ended up having surgery, didn't play in the playoffs, didn't play in the bubble. But if you look at his production before he got hurt, he was very consistently a guy that was priced around 6000 He spent almost the entire half of the season priced from 5900 to 6300 So the fact that he's opening up the season price to 5100 on DraftKings in a plus matchup against Portland, that's a little bit of a misprice to me. So that's somebody else who in the mid-range I think makes for a pretty decent value play. Definitely, I like it. Uh, he really surprised last year with his 25% usage rate. Um, they definitely ran the offense a lot through him, which was a big surprise in doing, uh, yeah. Uh, Royce O'Neal is going to be starting for the Utah, and that just opens up a lot of shots for Conley, Mitchell, and Bogdanovich because he, he doesn't shoot. And then any other small forwards that stand out to you here? I think a lot of guys here are fair plays. Uh, Patrick Williams being the cheap guy, I think a lot of player, uh, a lot of a lot of DFS players will get to, but other than that, I, I don't think this is a great position to pay up for just because there, there isn't, you know, a, a Giannis or, or a Jason. Uh, there is Jason Tatum here, but not somebody who I put in the same category as, as like Giannis or Luca or any of those guys. I'll give some honorable mentions here because, I mean, there's so many players in the slate. We can't talk about them all in depth, but Dylan Brooks versus the Spurs, he's 5,400 and... Um, it, this is just a question of the minutes. If he plays 30 plus, he's going to be a good value. If he doesn't, maybe not. Um, and then uh, Jeremy Grant, I think 
And Detroit, he should be uh, one of the key contributors. Not a great fantasy player, but um, I think that the minutes should be very good for the price of 4700 And then Rudy Gay, uh, past, he's probably getting the start in San... Oh, wait, no, he's not... I'm confusing myself real quick because uh, if we go... Okay, so in the preseason, they started Gay at power forward and LaMarcus at center, I believe. So if he does start, and he averaged 25 minutes a game in preseason, he has a decent price tag, but, I mean, not a key piece for the Spurs, so I don't feel great about it. Yeah, and then uh, one thing also on Jeremy Grant, which I, I just think is kind of funny, is when they were talking about the team in the preseason, and they paid Jeremy Grant a significant amount of money in the offseason. So to your point before, where you look at who are some guys that teams are maybe rec- have maybe recently paid or recently traded for that have a big salary, they just signed Jeremy Grant to, I think it was a four-year, $64 million deal. So when you consider they just gave Jeremy Grant that kind of contract, you have to think he's going to play a big role. And I think they maybe aren't evaluating Jeremy Grant properly as a player, just because Dwayne Casey, when he was talking about the other day, what things went right and wrong for the team in the preseason. And he was like, we have to get Jeremy Grant better looks because he's one of the best (laughs) shooters in the NBA. And I'm like, whoa, who's this player they think they signed? But more importantly, that says to me that they're really planning on making this guy a focal point of their offense. We talked about why we like Killian Hayes earlier in the show. And part of the reason is just that this is a Pistons team that's so devoid of talent that that we just have to figure that somebody's going to be getting minutes and shots for them. And that's kind of where Jeremy Grant falls in. It seems like the way that they paid him all that money and the way they're evaluating him, he's going to play a, p- a pretty big role for them. So, so that does make a whole lot of sense to me as a guy in kind of that mid-range, as a guy who has potential to be value. So moving over to the power forward position now, but one thing before we get over there, guys, do us a favor, thumbs up on the video, like, subscribe to the YouTube channel, because Alex told me before the show, he said, Greg, what's very important about this show is if we don't get a certain number of YouTube subscribers, I will never do another show with you again. So for my own, for my own pride, guys, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's, it's very important. This is, this is what really keeps us going. So do that. And then also check out that promo code Caruso, $1 access to Osmo.com for all new users for the first week of the regular season. Get access to our projections, ownership projections, all the stuff that Alex and I are using to make decisions and informing some of the stuff we're talking about on this show. So getting over to the power forward position now, I think, yeah, go ahead. I got a quick uh, note from News God. Uh, He DM'd me. He says that James Harden might not play tonight because there was a video of him at a strip club violating COVID protocols. So that will be huge news. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on. Wow. And very out of character, too. I mean, if you know, you, know, you, know what's fu- you know what's funny about that news is if you were to tell me that story and not give me the name of the player, you just said, here's the story. Which player is it? I think 99% of us are guessing James Harden. Maybe a couple people throw out Lou Williams because it's already happened to him. But, yeah, it, you, you could just put the you could put the name to that story without knowing the name. So, yeah, that would obviously be substantial. Um Let's talk about that for a quick second before moving to power forward position, because if James Harden's out, the one thing that I think would immediately stand out to me is John Wall then would be in position to to take a ridiculous amount of usage in that Houston offense. Because, I mean, you think about James Harden, what happened when he was off the court last year and the role that, that Russell Westbrook played. Then you get in a spot where John Wall would have to play a massive role. Uh, Eric Gordon, who's expected to come off the bench, he would probably move into the starting lineup and would become a really viable option. We've seen Eric Gordon uh, play well in the past when James Harden's been out and he started. So those are just some thoughts off the top of my head. So what do you make of James Harden potentially being out? Yeah, I think Wall would be great. I mean, 
coming off this whole year where he didn't play, like it'll be interesting to see where he's at. But from everything I've heard, you know, everyone's been talking about how good he's looked in preseason. So there are encouraging signs that he would be able to to smash his uh, salary at seventy four hundred if Harden doesn't play. The other guy I'm really intrigued on in this team uh, is a power forward. So it kind of segues into our our next uh, segment here, Christian Wood. Uh, he got a, a good uh, contract this year, about forty million for three years, and he's uh, he's a very productive fantasy player. Um, gets a ton of rebounds and has high usage. I feel like um, he's kind of like the stretch five that fits in the Rockets system. Uh, and it's sad to see PJ Tucker maybe like playing less <laughs> of the big man role for the, the Rockets. But I'm just kind of not sure how the minutes are going to work out here because you got DeMarcus Cousins at center for the Rockets as well. I mean, that guy is insanely talented when he's healthy, but he hasn't been healthy. So how are you projecting these two new guys in the Rockets, Wood and Cousins, uh, to fit in here? Yeah, it's. I think I'm going to be very informed by whatever the starting lineup ends up being. And then obviously also James Harden's out also. I kind of feel that DeMarcus Cousins isn't going to play that big of a role for them, even though he played well in the preseason like talking about the point you made earlier about contracts, right? DeMarcus Cousins on a veteran minimum one-year contract. Christian Wood, they made a very significant investment and they signed him to like a four-year $75 million contract. So you just look at the the difference in contracts they gave to those two players. And I have to think that Christian Wood is the player that they're going to prioritize in the offense in terms of starting and also giving bigger minutes to. Uh, But with that said, they're probably both viable anyway if James Harden doesn't end up playing. Uh, but Christian Wood is going to be my preference. He's somebody else who I, I have a decent amount of exposure to in best ball. I think that people really overreacted to some decent early games from from DeMarcus Cousins, and then maybe overreacted to Christian Wood missing a preseason game with a sore elbow. Because when Christian Wood did get on the court for the Rockets, he was ridiculous. He had something like 27 points and 10 rebounds in limited minutes in the one preseason game that he played for them. So he looked great in the preseason also. So I think that Christian Wood is in line for a big season. And I'm not too concerned about DeMarcus Cousins because like, like we said, if they sign, you know, a one year, four and a half million dollar deal or whatever it is, I, I don't think they're looking at DeMarcus Cousins as the guy who's the future for the team. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So um, apparently what is center only. <laughs> uh, so thanks John and the chat for that. So I got ahead of our, uh, of the, the schedule here a little bit, the bad guys. Um, yeah. Christian Wood, uh, I think, It'll be really interesting to see how he fits in here. In this preseason, he had a 38% usage rate. That was higher higher than Harden. So (laughs) I don't expect that, but it's an encouraging sign that he won't just be relegated to an unimportant piece of the offense. So um, at Power Forward, I'm kind of – I was listening to the, the slate starter uh, with Ryan and Eric, and they were talking about Laurie Markkinen and how the Bulls like didn't extend him a new contract. But man, the prices on the Bulls are insane. Like he's forty eight hundred on DraftKings. So <laughs> I'm trying to reconcile these two things. I think he's still a good play, but maybe you can talk me off of Laurie Markkinen or Yanam. So I <clears throat> I have bad news for you because I'm not going to be able to talk you off of Laurie Markkinen because. <laughs> 
because he's been a guy who's been a good fantasy producer in the past when he's been on the court. So let's talk about some of the positives first is Markinen had a very strong rookie season from a fantasy perspective. Last year, he was not nearly as good, but with that said, he's been priced way down. So even though last year was overall disappointing year for Markinen where he was injured, like I said, I like to use historical pricing as a baseline for kind of what to expect in terms of production for players. So last year, Markinen on DraftKings, spent most of the season priced right around 6000 despite his struggles. And if you go back to his rookie year, he was a guy who was priced as high as 8000 So, I, I mean, the pricing is just wrong, and I understand that there's concerns here. The team does not seem to be bought into him for the future. They drafted Patrick Williams, who could play the same position as Markinen. But if I just look at that historical price for him, he's so much cheaper than he typically is at 4800 And it's a plus matchup. The Hawks have one of the worst defenses in the league last year. And if you look at some people's projections, like Kevin Pelton, he projected them to be the worst defensive team in the league this season. So with that considered, then the other thing also, Clint Capella, to your point, he's going to be out tonight, who's maybe one of the only decent start, decent uh, defensive players in that starting lineup. So all that considered, it's a good matchup for, for Markinen. And, and the price is right. So I, I can't talk you off of them. I'm going to be on them as well. Nice. I'm, I'm glad that, <laughs> that we're both on the same page, ride or die, uh, tonight with Markinen. Um, who else is standing out at power forward for you here? So Al Horford, who's power forward and center eligible on, on DraftKings. And once again, we have to talk about that Thunder team and how it's there's just no talent there. There's nobody to take shots. So Al Horford, somebody who stands out. And the other thing, too, is with Al Horford, I think there's a lot of talk about him being washed and how bad he looked in Philadelphia last year. But I think a lot of it was circumstantial because I think the fit with him playing alongside Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid was so bad that he just didn't have the space to operate and really be successful. But if you go look at his numbers last year, when Simmons and Embiid were off the court, I have them right here in front of me, uh, per 36 minutes, 16 points, 9.1 rebounds, 6.7 assists over a steal and a block per 36 minutes. So you look at those numbers and he still played well when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were off the court. So I think that now that he's away from those guys and in a, in a situation where he has a better chance to have, to have usage, to have the ball in his hands, more space to operate. Cause he's not playing with guys who are like Simmons and Embiid that are ball dominant and maybe not the greatest three point shooters. So the, so the floor is really condensed. I think that Al Horford could have a really big fantasy year and I think people aren't really on him in a big enough way just because he looks so washed last year. Definitely. I like Horford a lot. I think for him, it's all about fit. He just doesn't mesh with Embiid. Um, so now that he's on this team that really doesn't have any centers that have any skills, I'm really intrigued that uh, he's like, this may be one of the worst rebounding teams on paper in the league. I feel like he's going to have to rebound the ball a lot more. And for context, in the preseason, uh, last year his defensive rebounding rate was 17%. In the preseason, a limited sample, but he was 27%. If he can increase those rebounds, he's already a guy that gets assists, has a reasonable usage rate, but not above average. But I feel like, man, he could kind of be that, like, guy that fills up the stat sheet in every category like unexpectedly and maybe even expectedly to us because i mean yeah. i look at the I look, I look at those numbers he had when simmons and Embiid were off the court last year and they're so strong and then you look at you look at this thunder roster also and to me it's like sga is going to do a lot al horford's going to be a lot there's a reason we're talking about george hill as a play and it's not because we think george hill is some great fantasy producer a great player it's because there's nobody to take minutes and usage 
in that Houston, in that uh, Oklahoma City Thunder roster. So that's really where Al Horford stands out to me. Uh, we can't hit this power forward position without talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, though. He is the best per-minute fantasy producer in the league. He's also one of the most expensive players on the slate. The one issue I have, though, is there are a decent amount of options I like at the power forward position. And also, I just prioritize somebody like Luka Doncic way above Giannis. So how much exposure or how much how strong of a play do you think Giannis is relative to this slate as a whole? Yeah, I think he's not quite as good as Luka um, because of the minutes discrepancy. That being said, new coach, like, I don't know exactly what the minutes will be. But if it's close to his season average of 30 last year, uh, that isn't the most exciting thing. The matchup versus Boston is probably a negative as well. So he he's a guy that I think is a good play, but uh, compared to Luca, who's kind of like a smash lock, Giannis kind of pales in comparison. Yeah, and that's really where I'm at. And that's that's also something, I mean, at the top of the show, we talked about the difference between something like a 13-game slate and a two-game slate. And we go from having, you know, just a handful of expensive options. Now we have everybody on the slate and you can't really roster all of them. So at a certain point, you have to you have to make considerations as to which guys you're going to prioritize. And I don't think I'm going to get, say, like no exposure to Giannis, but I look at him right now at at just under 30 percent projected ownership on DraftKings. And I'm kind of I'm probably going to be under that number because I'm going to be overweight to Luka Doncic. And that's that's kind of what happens on these big slates is is you're picking and choosing which guys you want it you want to get to and and it's going to be honest not necessarily a priority for me uh any other power forwards that to you think make for good plays worth talking about uh i think we hit on the big ones my favorites are horford and marketing all right nice we're on the same guys so nice. hopefully hopefully those are hopefully those are the guys because there are two players who have a little bit of a wash feeling to them, but rate out so highly for me that I, I can't really get away from them. Uh, moving over to center now, uh, the first guy who stands out to me and somebody also who I, I think that we're really going to need your take on him because you're wearing a jersey of his is, is Andre, Andre Drummond. No Kevin, no Kevin Love tonight or Kevin Love not expected to play. So with that in mind, Andre Drummond, who at times last year, struggled a little bit from a fantasy perspective for the Cavaliers, but the situation is not the same because the main reason for his varying minutes last year was because Tristan Thompson often closed games. There was kind of a timeshare between him and Thompson, but Thompson isn't on the team anymore. So I don't have nearly the same concerns about the playing time for Drummond as I did with him a year ago. The price is also a little cheaper than we've seen. And then also the the rebounding opportunity there, if if there's going to be no Kevin Love, is is pretty substantial. So Andre Drummond is a guy who I think at center is underpriced and has a very good combination of ceiling and floor. Definitely. I'm glad I'm not the only stand for Andre Drummond here. <laughs> um, I, w- I wouldn't go that far, but he's, he's, a, good, he's a good DFS play. <laughs> okay. So um, what I'm looking at here, the, I mean, the fit with Kevin Love isn't, isn't great, I'll be honest, but he's not playing tonight. So you got to expect that Andre Drummond will continue being one of the top rebounders in the league as long as Love is out. He also gets a good amount of assists nowadays. Like last season, he averaged 13% assist percentage. In the preseason, it was even higher. Um, And the usage is good. He was 25% last year, 26% in the preseason. So really all the factors are pointing. He should be like a 9K player and he's 8K. So I think there's a big advantage to there. 
Yeah, and I think that what the pricing algorithm is really weighing is inconsistent minutes towards the end of last year. But like I said, that's just not a concern anymore now that, that Tristan Thompson isn't there. I, I think that we could really expect Andre Drummond to pretty safely play over 30 minutes and just not something we have to concern ourselves with as we did a year ago. Uh, other center options, at least on the value side, another guy from the Chicago Bulls, always always a little dicey when, when I'm really interested in Chicago Bulls players, but Wendell Carter Jr. is only 4,400. And he's, he's another guy who, like Laurie Markkinen, was once a really well-regarded young player. And the issue with Wendell Carter has never actually been his on-court performance. It's been that he isn't on the court enough. He gets injured a ton. We saw him, uh, I think, a couple of sprained ankles last year. But 4,400 for a guy who produces about a fantasy point per minute. And I, I think that if we're going to see him play, you know, 28 to 30 minutes, he's just a little bit underpriced. So Wendell Carter, I wasn't able to talk you off of Laurie Markkinen. Could you talk <laughs> me off of Wendell Carter Jr.? I like Wendell Carter. I think um, last year he averaged 29 minutes a game. There's no real new guys that are going to challenge him for minutes. His biggest challenge has been himself. He just fouls a lot. He averaged 3.8 fouls per game last year. So uh, that just kind of indicates the average minutes is going to be a, is significantly lower than the the um, ceiling minutes. And I think that at 4,400, I mean, they just underpriced him pretty significantly. So uh, he looks like the best option at center, I have to agree. And then one other guy, just because we, we kind of briefly glanced on him before, and that's DeMarcus Cousins. What do we make of his role? And let's talk about him in the lens of, because right now I don't think he's all that interesting of a play, but what would you make of him if James Harden was to be out? And let's say there's a starting front court of James, of uh, of Christian Wood. I almost called him James Woods. Uh, Christian Wood next to DeMarcus Cousins. If that is the starting front court for the Rockets without James Harden in, would that make him a potential contrarian option for you? Yeah, if he's starting, for sure. I think Cousins would be... Uh, he's not super cheap, but great fantasy producer, so I think that would be interesting. I have no idea what the starting lineup would be if Harden misses, and uh, I don't want to speculate about who else was at this club. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Cousins is interesting. One situation I'm intrigued by is the Pistons. Uh, they signed Mason Plumlee in the offseason for big bucks, like... In, it's kind of weird because I feel like he's an old school center, like kind of like a Horford that's not as good. <laughs> um, so he's 3,700 on DraftKings and he's probably going to be the starting center. He's backed up by Jaleel Okafor. Um, so I think he's a, like if he plays 28 to 30 minutes, he's going to absolutely smash 3,700. But I'm also interested in Blake Griffin. Like, I don't know how the rotations are going to shake out here. But the problem with Blake Griffin is his health. Um, but you get him at the start of the season at his healthiest. He's also center eligible. Um, talking about prior salaries, he's 7,200. And uh, I feel like his numbers in Detroit were hurt a lot because he was playing with Drummond, who took a lot of rebounds. Mason Plumlee is not nearly as good a rebounder. So I feel like Griffin's numbers are going to spike. So what do you think of Blake Griffin here? Yeah, you know, I didn't really get to him a ton in the initial build I did. Uh, so it's hard for me to say that he's a high priority for me as of now, just because if if I, if I didn't roster a ton of him, I can't go out and say like, yeah, he looks great. I understand the logic for him. And at 7,200, that is a little cheaper than he's historically been. 
but even so, I'm, I'm just a little wary of the minutes because the Pistons, I don't really understand what the fit is for Blake Griffin on that team long term. Like, I think that ideally they would like to trade him at some point. So I think players like Derek Rose and Blake Griffin, it's hard for me to project them to play a ton of minutes to open the season just because I think ideally they'd like to keep them healthy, have them play relatively well on the court, and then move on from them and really have the team built around guys like, and this sounds dumb, but I mean, Jeremy Grant and and Killian Hayes, and then even uh, Mason Plumlee to an extent because they gave him so much money. I, I think that this is a team that built a very awkward team in the offseason and they made big investments in Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant for long-term contracts too. So this team, for better or worse, seems to be saying like, hey, we're building around Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley for now. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, the thing is Griffin's value for a trade is at like an all-time low. So like, I, I mean, he's he's got a player option next year for $38 million. <laughs> So I feel like they're going to have to like prove to everyone beyond any doubt that he'd be worth it. Um, so I, I, I think there's potential there. I think tonight will tell us a lot about how this, uh, Pistons rotation is going to go. Yeah. And I think we're going to learn a lot about a lot of these teams. And I think there's a lot of players after tonight's slate that we're going to feel dumb for projecting highly. There's going to be a lot of players. We feel dumb for projecting lowly. Cause we'll look back on and be like, Oh, of course we should have known this guy was going to play 30 minutes. It'll be a, another guy's like Eric Pascal. Or we'll be like, Oh my God, I can't believe we, we thought this guy was going to be a great value play. And then we'll find out a little bit more as we go on. But that is going to wrap up the show. Guys, thank you so much for watching. If you haven't done it yet, hit that like button, give us the thumbs up, and subscribe to the YouTube channel so that Alex will continue to be friends with me. Follow us on Twitter at awesomeo underscore common at awesomeonba. And plenty of other shows coming up on the YouTube channel. All the more reason to subscribe so you know when these are going to go live. We have the NFL strategy shows for the Sunday slate, for the Saturday slate, NBA Deeper Dive, and NBA Live Before Lock also coming up tonight. So that's going to do it for us. Jordan, play the Christmas music out.